Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series called Return and Rebuild as he speaks on how Jesus is reaching out his hand for us to return and come home. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. If anybody's glad to be a new creation in Christ, let me hear you give Jesus a big round of applause in this place. Amen. All right. We got to get popping. We got a lot to get through because we're continuing in our sermon series, going through the book of Ezra called Return and Rebuild. And we're looking at what God does in a group of people as he brings them toward revival. And that's what we're seeing. And that's what our message is about today because the title of our message is Coming Home. Coming Home. So I want you to think about that as we go through this message and what God has for us. We know it's uh, still early in the new year, and, and many people had started some New Year's resolutions, oh, say about January 1st or so. Let me ask you something. How them going right now? <laughs> Anybody kind of slid back a little bit on some of that diet or, you know, exercise? And miss it? I'm going to tell you what, man. People may be missing the church past, past few weeks, but they ain't missing the gym. Great day. I went in there. It was packed. But it, it's so easy for us to slide back. It's, it's so easy for us to go back to default, right? We want to make changes. We want to go a new direction. We want to do something new, but we've got this default, our habits, our normal way of living that we're so prone to go back to. And and the same that's true for our New Year's resolutions, how maybe we hang on to them, maybe we make them lifestyle changes, but more times than not, those things fizzle out somewhere around in the January, February, You'd be like, man, mine fizzled out three weeks ago. But I mean, it's so easy for us to go back to what's comfortable, to what's familiar, and to what we've always done. And the same is true for us spiritually, if we're not careful. We know as a recap, really quick, we're going through this book of Ezra, and it's a story of the Israelites, of God's people, who had lived in disobedience to God and wouldn't listen to his prophets either. For decades, Jeremiah and other prophets had tried to minister to these people and to call them back to repentance and basically to to put the word of God in their face and be like, here it is, his word's true. God's, God's gonna bring judgment upon sin if you don't turn. Come on, God has better for you. Would you walk in his ways? And through the pleading and pleading and pleading of the prophets, these people still just turned a deaf ear. And wouldn't listen to God or, or, or his men that were bringing his word and calling them to repentance. And because of that, God brought punishment. Because he's a God of justice and wrath just as much as he's a God of grace and mercy. So we see this justice and wrath. And, and what we're going to see in this message is even after all of who God is, we're going to see this justice and this wrath. We're also going to see his grace and his mercy. Don't you love all of who God is? And we're going to see that. We, we can't just separate out the parts of God that we don't like. Because I can promise you, I can promise you this. His justice and his wrath is just as much a part of his grace and his mercy than his blessings. And we're going to see that here today. That he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to be happy in the world and in sin and apart from him. He loves you that much. He doesn't want to let you go down that path. But will we Listen. These Israelites didn't listen, so they were thrown into captivity. So Ezra hears this story about the exiles being brought out of Babylon and the rebuilding of the temple. And not just that, but the restoration of God's people spiritually. And then we know Ezra also uh, wrote the book of Nehemiah. And we see in Nehemiah, it's about the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem and also about a, a renewing, a revival spiritually in the heart of God's people. We know as, as we've looked through this, that this... Um, Cyrus had, had come over and, and taken over Babylon. It was once under Nebuchadnezzar and then his son who was uh, kicked out and wouldn't listen to God himself. So Cyrus had come in and taken over around 539 BC. 
And then somewhere around 538 BC, we see this creed, this, this announcement was made by Cyrus that we read about here in Ezra. Somewhere around 536 BC, the construction of the temple, the reconstruction would take place where it had been destroyed under Nebuchadnezzar because of the sin of God's people. As we go through this book, though, we're going to see this cycle where God's people, although enthused and returning, they're still going to sway because there's going to be opposition later as we get through the book of Ezra, as they rebuild the temple, people are going to be pushing back. And there's actually going to be a 16-year halt on what God wanted them to do just because they faced opposition. How many times have you and I been excited to return to God, but then we face opposition in the world and it brings us back? Have you ever felt that? I know I have. God's people are going to experience that. You're going to see this little retake. But then through the teaching of the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah, construction was then again renewed and the project finished around 515 B.C. Then between chapter 6 and 7, there's this time period, this 58-year gap, which is where the book of Esther takes place. All right? Just so you know how Scripture ties in in the Old Testament. And then at the beginning of chapter 7, we see this introduction some 81 years after the first return through that guy's name who's very fun to say. Remember Zerubbabel? Remember how he said it? He said, and then Zerubbabel. Okay? So on this first return in Zerubbabel, and now 81 years later, Ezra comes in in chapter 7 leading another return. All right? Why? Because some of the people again had started to drift even in Jerusalem and begun to become assimilated with the surrounding people. Can you believe that? I can, because I've done that myself. Have you? Have you ever drifted? You ever been on fire for the Lord and then, man, life gets in the way? And sin that so easily entangles, snares us and, and pulls us and holds us down. And then we need the power and the strength of God. We need in those times what we need is the breath of the Spirit of God to just blow through us, to light a spark of revival in our hearts to return to him. Do you need that today? I don't know about you, but I need that. I need this message today. I've had my toes stepped all on this week because I don't know if you notice or not, I'm human. <laughs> Some people think your pastor ain't human. Yeah, I am. And I get discouraged. Man, and, and, and I've, I, I, when there's opposition, I mean, I just want to retreat. And, and it's natural for me to even hit the default button and to go to what's comfortable. But God wants to pull me out. And God wants to pull you out today to something different. God wants to do a work in you that you can't do yourself and only the Spirit of God in you can complete. Do you believe that and know that today? So will you say yes to Jesus today? Will you say yes to revival and yes to the return? Because God wants to rebuild something in you that maybe you never thought could happen. Let me pray for us before we dive in real quick. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we're here, Lord, to magnify you, to lift you up. Lord, to praise your holy name because you are worthy. Lord, you are God. You are the one and only true God. You are Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. Lord, there is no hope in anything else. There is no hope in anything in this world. No hope in government. No hope in, in medicines. There is only hope in Christ because you're sovereign over it all. You use it all anyway. So, Lord, can we focus on you today? Because, Lord, it's so easy for our mind to drift, to get distracted, to be swayed. So Lord, I pray, Lord, when this message, as we look at the recall of your people, the Israelites out of Babylon, Lord, and how revival and spiritual renewal started in their life and what that looked like, I pray that you would speak to us today, Lord, that we could apply it, that this isn't just some cool story that we could bring to life, but it's something that you want to apply in our lives right here today because you want to use your people here, you want to use these families, you want to use this church in this community, I feel and I know to start revival. Lord, that's in our name. It's impact. Lord, an impact means that we're a game changer, that we've made an impact. We've changed the outcome. And it's not because of us or who we are or what we do. It's because of you and who you are and what you've done. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall fresh upon us, Lord, that you would move in the hearts of your people. And I'm going to praise you in advance for what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, so here we go. Locked and loaded, rolling through Ezra. And you'll be like, Ezra won again. Yeah, Ezra won again. Ezra won. 
verses 1 through 7, you're like, Brad, dog, we've been in chapter 1 for like two weeks already. All right? Guess what? We're going to be in chapter 1 again next week. And then we'll move on. But anyway, we dig out what the, what the Word of God says. So we want to get it all and hear it all. So last week, if you were here, we talked about this stirring that God places in the hearts of people to start to move us for his purpose. Have you ever felt the stirring of God in your heart? I mean a spiritual stirring that moves you toward repentance, that moves you toward a, a closer relationship with God where the scales fall off your eyes and you can see the truth of God's word for what it is and you see your own depravity, your sinfulness in front of a holy God who loves you and sent his son to the cross to die for you that you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Have you felt that? That's what God does in our hearts and that is the start of revival. Know this, any revival, any spiritual renewal that happens in your life, that happens in, through this church and in this community will only happen through the power and the stirring of God. It's not about us. It's not about our works. It's not about our do's and our don'ts. That's not it. That's legalism. It's about the spirit of God moving and us surrendering to it. That's what revival is. So you could go back and listen to that message last week. And I don't want to touch on that anymore, but we know that there was this stirring in the people of God. And even in people God's going to use, and we're going to look at that and see that as well. But what does spiritual revival look like? Let's think about that as we read this passage in Ezra 1. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Oh, go figure. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved. I want you to hear that. Arose, up, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. Thus saith the Lord. And we got a message here today in that. You know, it's so easy when we read the word of God to just breeze over stuff like that. And not capture the meaning. And that's why it's so important that we exegete scripture. And, and make it come to life where, where we can see the meaning and the context and then apply it to our life. And that's why it's so beautiful to go through books of the Bible like this and really pull out what God has. Because inside this, we're going to see what spiritual revival looks like today. Right here in this passage that we read. So the first thing after we said and we talked about this stirring, I don't know if you caught that again, that the Lord stirred in the heart of Cyrus and it said all the people of the Lord that God had moved. God had been moving and working in these people's life before this point. Why? Because he had to get their heart and their mind ready for what was about to happen. He had to get them first, this is what spiritual revival looks like, to be broken over their sin and bring them to repentance. So when you and I, First spirit's revival would be God stirring in our life. And the first thing he's going to do is to break us over our sin and bring us to repentance. Make no mistake. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with just a feel-good, jolly moment in a church. Those are great. But if that's all we ever look for and we don't actually seek God's face in our life, and surrender to his will and to his word, then we're missing out on what God has. 
Because I want to tell you, man, it's unfortunate, but there's people that walk in and out of church doors every single Sunday singing about a Jesus that they're never going to get to spend eternity with because they haven't surrendered their heart and their life because going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't. It's a great place to be. It's where God wants you to be. But this alone does not save you. It's where your heart is. Have you surrendered your will to God's will? Have you fallen in repentance? Have you been broken over your sin to the point where you just didn't shed a few tears and then walk away or never change? That's remorse. Judas had remorse over his sin, but he didn't have repentance. There's a big difference between remorse and repentance. That's great. You're broken over sin. What did you do after that? Did you surrender your heart to God and let him have control in the reins of your life? Or did you keep living your life happily as you want? Maybe listening to some bonehead pulpit pansy preacher that said you can have your sin in Jesus too. And therefore you've been deceived by a lie with a, with a picture painted of a Jesus who really doesn't exist. And that's scary because that happens in today, in this 21st century American church where we live. People are, are, are making up this Jesus that doesn't really exist where they think that he's so much love and he's so much mercy and grace that, that he can possibly send anybody to hell. And he couldn't possibly want to punish sin. That's not who God is. That's only part of who God is. Praise God, he is grace and mercy. He is that. Without that, we don't have salvation. But inside of that, we have to see and be real that it's not just about head knowledge that makes you a Christian. Because the Bible in James says even the demons believe and they shudder. What have you done with your heart? Have you opened it and surrendered it to the fullness of God? That's where revival is going to start. Brokenness over sin and total repentance. God gives you a longing for something different. As you know from the history of Israel here, as you've followed this, and you know the story of, of their, their, their first captivity in Egypt, again because of sin and disobeying God, and then God brings them through the Exodus and crossing the Red Sea, and everything is done. You know their history. And for centuries, the Lord had warned this disobedient people that, he needed to, that they needed to repent and be brought back to, to him and his word. And he used people, he used prophets to preach that word. And we talked about even here specifically how Jeremiah and other prophets had, had ministered to these people while they were in Jerusalem. Saying, hey, the hand of the Lord is about to come down. If you don't repent and turn from the evil ways, you can't worship other gods. You can't have your sin in Jesus too. That's what he was saying. Because so many people felt that. But God was trying to call them out. And we see that even prophesied through Moses almost a thousand years before in Deuteronomy 28, that he was calling them out. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 28, verses 65 through 66. In 60, verse 64, it already talks about how God had scattered them amongst the nations because of sin. And then the word of God says this. It says, and among, among those nations, you shall find no rest nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But they or the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall be hanging in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. Did you catch that? Why would God give his people a trembling heart, failing eyes, and a despair of soul with no assurance of life? That seems pretty helpless, doesn't it? That's the point. Because that's where sin leads. That's where living in Babylon leads. Let me ask you a question today. Are you living in Babylon? I don't mean the physical place, Babylon. I know you're here in Forest, Virginia. But I mean spiritually in depravity, are you living in Babylon and looking for joy? Because the Bible says you're never going to find it there. There's always going to be a desperation in your soul and an unassurance of life. You're going to live in fear. You're going to not trust the promises of God, and you're going to be looking to government and, and everything else for your hope and your restoration. And it's always going to leave you empty and falling short. You're going to turn to things of this world to look for your happiness. Why would God give people such desperation? I think Hebrews 12 gives us an answer. 
And we're not going to read it here in the first portion, but if you look through that, that middle section where he says the Lord disciplines those he loves. Just like a good father does to the child he loves. Maybe you're in a season right now where maybe some of the consequences of your sin and your, your past and choices that you've made have fallen upon you. And that's the unfortunate consequences of sin. But I want you to hear today, and I want you to hear through this message, that although you may be in that season, because that's where sin leads and that's what sin does, God wants to call you out today. God wants to call you back. You don't have to stay there anymore. Paul said in, in Romans, you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You can be set free. Not free to sin, as some people get confused. Oh, I'm free in Christ. Yes, you are, but you're not free to sin. You're free from the penalty of sin through Christ. You're set free from the bondage of sin through his resurrection. But you are never free to sin. God did not go to the cross to give you a ticket, a free ticket to sin and live like the world. Mm -mm. His grace is free. Don't get me wrong. You can't do anything to earn his grace, but his grace ain't cheap. And it only comes to a surrendered heart and repentance. Otherwise, you won't receive his grace or mercy. It's only available to those that repent. It's what God has been calling these people to so many times. Otherwise, there's emptiness. Did you know that there's no true happiness in your life outside of Christ? Can I tell you that? I don't know where you're searching for happiness right now. But you will never live truly one happy day until you know Jesus. And I don't just mean happy, happy, joy, joy. All the circumstances in my life are going good. I mean a joy that is a peace in the midst of a storm. A peace that surpasses understanding. When the whole world is getting rocked around you, you still have a joy in your heart even though circumstances aren't going good. That's what we just went through in the book of Philippians, didn't we? All through Paul. Joy. Remember that joy ride series we just had? Through so many circumstances, Paul still had joy in his heart because he knew God was sovereign. Do you have that joy in your life? I'm going to tell you, some people are looking for happiness in the wrong places. And everybody in the world is looking for happiness, especially now with all this pandemic stuff rocking our economy and rocking your lives as normal and everything else. I'm going to tell you, God's shaking things up to get your attention, to get my attention. Will we stop looking for the things of this world and will we have an eternal mindset looking to God? That's what he wants. That's what he wants in your life and in my life. He wants restoration, revival, renewal. Looking, longing to him. You're not going to find happiness in the bottom of a bottle. It's not there. You're not going to find happiness in drugs. It's not there. You're not going to find happiness in immoral relationships and on a computer screen or a movie screen. It's not there. You're not going to find happiness in wild parties and an immoral lifestyle. It's not there. God's calling you back today. But will you listen? Will I listen? And will we return? And see, as we look through these Israelites, we know that some during this time, because you realize that at this point, they're up in like 70 years of captivity. So that means some of these people were born here in Babylon. I want you to think about that. That's all they knew. I mean, they might have heard the stories about Jerusalem and the temple and, and freedom of worship and not being under this religious oppression and everything that, that happened periodically in Babylon. But some of them, man, that's, that's, that's all they knew. They didn't know nothing else. So their question would be this. Why I got to return to Jerusalem, man? This is, this is home. Some of us are like that. A life in the world and full of sin is all we've known. It's all we've lived in. Even though we may have been to church some Sundays and heard about this Jesus, we've only lived in the world and it's all we know. What do you mean return to God? What are you talking about, pastor? Surrender your heart and your life to God. What does that look like? Why I got to do that? Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good in your life? I've used this example before. I'll use it again. What, let's just say, for instance, you've never had chocolate, right? You never had it. Just go ahead and play with me for a little bit. And I had some chocolate up here. And I told you it was good. I said, man, you got to get some of this. This is the best thing you've ever put on your lips, right? Your taste buds will thank you later. You've got to have some. And then I, and then I open this candy bar, and, and, and I start eating the chocolate. I'm eating it in front of you. And I'm like, mmm. And you can hear me smacking my lips like an uncouth redneck. You know what I'm saying? 
And you're like, mmm. And I'm just, and you can, you can hear me. So now I'm telling you, and you can see me eating it, and you can even hear me eating it. And, and it's just good. And you're just sitting over there like, what? What would happen if I offered you a candy bar and you didn't take it? Would you ever know what it tasted like? No. What if Jesus is offering you something that you've never really had? Maybe you've walked in and out of church stores a lot in your life, but God's really offering you something that you've never tasted. If you didn't taste it and you didn't grab it and you didn't live it, would you ever know what he's talking about? No. I want to tell you right now, God's calling you out today. He's calling me out, and he's calling us to something different. He's calling us to something that maybe you've never tasted before, and right now is the day of salvation today. Don't you walk out this door today without receiving Jesus and making him Lord of your life. Don't you walk out this door today if you've drifted, if you've swayed, without getting on your knees right here at the end before a holy God and coming back to him, because I promise you, church, God wants to do something big. He does, but will we say yes to him? And leave Babylon alone. It's not easy leaving Babylon either, returning to Jerusalem spiritually. When you look at this, they had to go back to a land that was desolate, that had been destroyed, that was full of rubble. I want you to think about that. This place had been decimated by Nebuchadnezzar. So they weren't returning to Jerusalem and, and, and big old turnkey homes and, and manicured yards and all that job. And we just go move on in. No. They had to go back to nothing and let God help them start from scratch. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe that's keeping you spiritually from leaving Babylon and going back to your spiritual of Jerusalem where God wants you because you know it's going to take so much work. Let me tell you what. Let me give you a, a, a great help. You don't have to do the work. God's going to provide. Yes, you're going to have to walk. Yes, you're going to have to put a little elbow grease in it. You're going to have to do some things different. You're going to have to cancel out some subscriptions on some relationships that you had. You're going to have to do it, all right? Corinthians, Paul tells the church at Corinth, hey, make no mistake, bad company corrupts good character 100% of the time. You're going to have to cancel out some subscriptions on some relationships to return to Jerusalem. You're going to have to do it. You can't hang with the boys and the ladies and the frat and the sorority, keep doing the things you always done, and expect Jesus to lead you on a new path. can't. You're going to have to pray and, and fall down before a holy God and ask him to change your heart, to give you a new, a new attitude, a, a, a new breath of life. And let God do the work and provide as we're going to see. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient. While there were some here that's Babylon's all they knew, we knew there's others that had been in Jerusalem and now they were in Babylon. And they had experienced this religious suppression other than the times where the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had taken a stand and then a decree went out and then when Daniel took a stand and a decree went out but in between those times there was religious oppression they could not worship God I want you to think about that their government their their legislation had prevented them from worshiping God and even so if you read Psalms 137 verse 4 God's people crying out it says man we long for Jerusalem and how could we sing praises to the Lord in a foreign land I want you to think about that desperation do you have that kind of desperation and hunger for God? I want you to know, when you're in a time of drought in your life, that maybe whether your own sin has brought you there or the sin of somebody else, right? Just like Daniel, we talked about. He's living through this, and he didn't do a thing to earn it necessarily. Yes, he was a sinner like everybody else, but he wasn't the one living in active disobedience. Other people were. But he had to go through captivity just the same. So maybe you're in a time of drought because of your own choices or the choices of somebody else. But let me tell you what, wherever you're at and, where, and where, whatever the reason is you're there, don't try to find your peace and happiness in Babylon. Because God wants to pull you out. Our second thing that we know and from this passage of what revival looks like is we will respond in obedience to God's word and promises. We will respond in obedience to God's word and promises. And we don't have to, to beat a dead horse. I feel like we've gone over Jeremiah 29 pretty thoroughly the past couple weeks. Amen? If you've missed that, you can go back and check it out. Like I said, even last week, 2 Chronicles 7, how we know where, where the Bible says, hey, man, to, to call on me and, and repent 
and turn from your wicked ways, and then I'll hear from heaven and heal your land. That was his promise to Israel in his covenant. He was calling his people back to him. So we know God's promises were there. And even through Jeremiah in the first part of this passage in Ezra, it said that the word of the Lord through the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. God's promises are coming to fruition. Do you know that God's promises will come to fruition in your life? Hey, get this. This is the beautiful part about God. Even when you and I mess it up sometimes. Isn't that beautiful? And you say, hold up, Brad. Can you prove that? Man, do you remember the story of a dude named Abraham and Sarah? You remember that? And what did God promise Abraham? Be the father of many nations, man, but he didn't have a son. And then Sarah, you know, she was buried. And and they got a little anxious because their timing wasn't God's timing. So what did they do? Jump the gun, didn't they? Daggummit. Sarah's like, why don't you go over there with Hagar and have a baby with her? Abraham like, sounds like the will of God to me, darling. I mean, I don't know. It's sin, right? Our flesh, our default to go the wrong direction, to not claim the promises of God and walk them out. Even if his time is not our time, because I can promise you, I can promise you, I can promise you as a pastor that's planted a church in a pandemic in a field of a frozen tundra that God's timing is not my timing. It's just not. I don't know why God still has us here, right here, this, and delayed all of everything through COVID and this, that, and the other. I don't know, but I know he's doing a work. I know he is. Maybe this has a little feel of an old-fashioned revival in a tent and everything. I don't know what it is, but God's at work nonetheless because church isn't about a building. Amen? Amen. But, Lord, we still want to build it in running water one day, okay? <laughs> but, man, God is at work, and he wants to do something so miraculous in your life. we look back through history, any revival that, take, that took place happened through a return to God's word and his promises. After God breaks you over sin and you fall in repentance, he's going to bring you and give you a hunger for his word to fall fresh upon you. And that's what we see here as we looked at this revival in Ezra with a, a renewal of God's word in his people, this fulfilling of the prophet Jeremiah. And we know that we, we look at this, and even this man, Ezra, who wrote this book, if you look forward to chapter 7, which I'm not going to read for time because i got to move us along, is that Ezra was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, it says in verse 6. And in verse 10, that he had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. In Nehemiah 8, verse 8, we find that Ezra, under his leadership, in front of all the people, well-trained scribes would read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Ezra was a man of God's word, and he wanted God's people to be a people of his word. So revival, once repentance take place and God stirred and moved his people, then it was a calling to his word and his promises. It's a beautiful thing. If you look at Psalm chapter 119, the longest chapter of the Bible, some 176 verses that just extol God's word and just proclaim God's word and his truth. Many people, many scholars think Ezra may have written that. Yeah, they, some say maybe David and, and maybe even Daniel. But some scholars think Ezra may have written that because he was such a man of God's word. Are you a man or a woman of God's word? Really? I mean, are you? Does it guide your every life? I mean, is this more than just something you carry in your car or carry to church? Is this more than something that just sits on your uh, coffee table or dresser at home? Or does this change your life? Does this affect how you talk to your kids? Does this affect how you talk to your husband or wife? Does this affect how you live your life on weekends? Does this affect how and what you do on computer screens at night? Does this affect your life? Or is this just something you carry and talk about? Are you a man or a woman of God's word? It's where strength of revival continues. God's word is beautiful. A British scholar, Thomas Parker, said, quote, What wonder that a church which picks and chooses what it wants out of the Bible should become confused in its theology, flabby in its morals, and with no little state but the worldly obvious. What does that mean? It means that if we don't stand on his word, even as a church, bad things happen. People get deceived. And we're in that time. 
Even Paul told Timothy, there's going to be a time where people won't tolerate sound doctrine. They're going to run to the teachers that tickle their ears. We're living in that culture today. Because unfortunately, as, as we've preached the word of God unapologetically here at Impact Church with truth and love, and I'm not beating people over the head with the Bible and preaching hell and damnation, but what I am doing is preaching what God's word says. And just because of that, we've had people get up and, and, and leave. And then when later they, they asked why they left, they said, but man, I, I, I'm going back to my other church because my pastor doesn't preach like that. And it took everything in me to not get that dude's phone number and call him. Why? Why are pastors not preaching the word? Why are they picking and choosing what they want to what, what preach? I'll tell you why. Because they don't want to offend nobody. Because if they offend somebody with God's word and they leave, then they can't afford the big pretty building next week and they got to change the budget. And they don't want to do that. Because that will affect their pocketbook. And they back down and back away from God's word. And instead of being faithful to God and his word, they preach a theology of Satan, which ear tickles it just motivates people and makes people comfortable in their sin. And people are deceived by it and going straight to hell. So if we really want spiritual renewal, revival, we must have a renewed emphasis on God's word individually and corporately as a church and as a body of Christ. We have to. Number three, third aspect of revival that we see here in this passage is we must depend on God's power. Once we're broken over our sin, led to repentance, once we have a renewed uh, thirst and responding of obedience to God's word and promises, then we've got to depend on God's power. We've got to depend on God to do what only he can do, and we can't. Amen? Did you know that? There's times where we have to step out when we know, don't know how it's going to turn out, but through faith in God, know that with every step of the way, it's going to be okay. Do you have... A faith like that? I'm learning, are you? God's taught me a whole lot through this. And he's taught me where my faith wavers and where I have doubts myself. How about you? God's going to use those moments when we were in doubt and, and, and whatnot. And, and when he moves and he shows himself and proves himself faithful, even when we're not, it strengthens our faith. And it makes us want to depend on him even more. Have you been in that scenario, in that situation where you're truly dependent on God? Let me, get, let me break it down. Maybe you're in a situation in your home where your kids have gone astray and you can't control them. Have you fallen on your knees before our holy God and just prayed for him to do what only he can do? Maybe you got to get serious with God and say, Lord, spare their health and spare their life, but break them down and let them only see you. Don't let them live one happy day in the world anymore. Maybe you got to get tough like that and just pray. That God can do what only he can do. God wants us to depend on him. We see this scenario where now God's people are called back. They're, again, think about this. They're called to a desolate Jerusalem that's destroyed. And, and they have no resources coming out of Babylon to rebuild that place. Great. Cyrus made a decree. we got to go back. We're going to rebuild the temple. Woo! Any of you guys thought about what we're going to do with it? What you got? I ain't got nothing. Did God have to provide for them to do what he was calling them to do? You bet he did. So what did he do? He spoke even deeper through Cyrus. So God's opening a door. Did you know you have to depend and trust that God will open and close doors in your life to lead and guide you? A lot of people say that and pray that. Well, I'm just praying for God to open and close this, uh, a door so I can know where to move. But see, here's the problem that you and I do so often because I'm good at this. And I, if I'm good at it, I know you are. We like to hold on to the doorknobs. <laughs> Right? Be like, oh, no, 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 don't open that door. Oh, no, no, don't, don't, don't close this one, this one. I like this one. So we hold on to all the doorknobs. It's, it's like we're in the, the game show, Let's Make a Deal. You ever seen that? I'm dating myself because I'm an old dude, right? So I'd be like, oh, let's make a deal. What's that? It, it's an old show. And, and, and so somewhere in the game, they used to have three doors, and you used to get to pick which door you wanted the prize behind, right? And if you pick the wrong one, there was like two of them that had like some cheesy gifts or something or whatever, like a year supply to cheese or something or whatever. And, and then they had a real, another gift that might be a car behind. And you had to, to pick and choose. Guys, if we're not careful, we get in a situation like that with God. Where we think we're on the show, let's make a deal. And we get to choose what door gets opened. Let me tell you what, that's not how God works. 
what you and I do when we seek him is we pull out a blank sheet of paper. We don't sign all the things that we want. Oh, Lord, well, if you call me to ministry, I got to live here. I got to have this job, this much salary. I got to have this, da, 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 and then sign your name and hand it to God. That's not following his will. That's following your will, trying to get God to do your will. Do you know what you do when you truly are surrendered to God and depend on his power? You take a blank piece of paper, you sign your name at the bottom, and you hand it to God. Have you done that? And say, God, you show me and you direct me. Because here's the beautiful thing about God. Inside of wherever he calls you, he's going to give you a heart and a desire to do it anyway. And your life's going to be better through him than what you could have done with it by yourself. Do you trust and know that? You're going to have to depend on what God can only do in your life. So God used Cyrus. I'm going to scoot us right along. But this was prophesied and even proves God's scripture is true. Because some 150 years before this, Isaiah predicted this event. Did you know that? I want to read this real quick for us because this is so cool. I don't want to skip it. Isaiah chapter 44. You look at verse 28 and then we'll read in through chapter 45 verses 1 through 3. And it says this. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure. Saying to Jerusalem, you shall be rebuilt. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed. To Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. To subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings. To open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. What does that mean? All the treasures that were stolen out of Jerusalem through Nebuchadnezzar. That you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. If that doesn't strengthen your faith, I don't know what was. 150 years before this even took place, Isaiah was out like, boop. God gave me a word. Here it is right here. Even called the dude's name out. And see, some scholars would go to say, oh, well, because, uh, because Isaiah said his name, we, that just proves that Isaiah wasn't written before that. It was proven that it was written after a hogwash. You know why? Because Something happened in about 1946, 47. You know what that was? The Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And inside that was a copy of the book of Isaiah, word for word, just like it's in your Bible. And it was dated back before and around that time. Let me tell you what, God's word is true. Some scholars would come, or some people would come against that that don't know Jesus what they don't realize is like we've talked about before earlier in the message around Christmas is about how some 300 prophecies were made, 48 messianic prophecies, and, and all of them were fulfilled. And we know the odds were indisputable that it was not a byproduct of guests, that Jesus is who he said he is, and he is his word, and his word is true. You can put your trust and faith in him. Part of depending on his power is depending on his provision. We'll talk more about that next week, so I'm going to breeze right through this section today. But we see that God worked through Cyrus as well to make the Babylonian residents give silver, gold, and goods to the building of the temple. Did you catch that? Did you see that? So not even the ones that were returning, all the people would give to this cause. And it makes me think that that passage of Scripture is so beautiful that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his anyway. And when he wants to move and do something, he's going to move and provide. We're getting ready to do something through this church and build and put a building up and push dirt, hopefully in March if the snow will get out of the way, and we can start moving and putting something up. And God's going to do an amazing work, and God's people are going to have to pour into it and provide. Get this. I believe even the magnitude of what we want to do here, I believe even people that are outside of Impact Church are going to have to provide to what God wants to do. Because this is going to be a tool used for the community. Some of y'all don't know that. Please come back next week. We're going to talk a little bit more about the vision inside of this passage of what God's leading us to do and the provision to provide. All right? And what we're going to do is put up a sports complex where it's a tool that we can use to reach the community for Jesus. Where Satan has used sports to pull people out of church. And they're running up and down to practice every night so they can't go to youth group and they can't go to life group and everything else. And then you got travel ball now, right? That pulls people away from church for all weekend for months at a time. Now we're going to have a facility to bring people back in and expose them to Jesus. 
Jesus and teach them about the truth of his word. That's what God wants to do right here. But it's going to take provision, and God's going to provide through his people. And that's where we're headed. And it's an exciting time, so don't miss next week. And also, by the way, we're going to go over our finances. That reminds me that I meant to say before I got into the message for last year. So if you want to be here next week and after service, we'll go through the finances from last year as a budget meeting and go through all that. I want you here for that, to hear what God's doing. All right? So moving on. What man could not do, God had to do. Do you trust him like that? God had used... Nebuchadnezzar. God had now used Cyrus. God was using people that weren't even inside the church to bring people toward his purpose and his will. Great saying right here. I love, I love, I love. You can write this down. God's work done God's way will not lack God's support. God's work done God's way all right, not the way of man, because there's plenty of people doing God's work in the name of money and fame and fortune and this, that, and the other, and they got the wrong motive. But God's work done God's way will not like God's support. Will you trust him? Number four, our fourth point as we look to close. I don't even know what time it is. All right, I got to bring it to it. I got to land the plane. Sorry. All right. Revival is living in God's purpose. Once we're broken over our sin, brought to repentance, once we have a renewal of obedience for his word, and then once we are trusting in his power, then we're going to be living in God's purpose. That's where revival wants to bring you, is to living out God's purpose. This, ter- this temple at Jerusalem is a place where God's glory was displayed, where the people had before come and worshipped him and been in his presence in his midst. If you know anything about Old Testament times, where was the, where was the presence of God? amongst the people in the temple. Remember the Holy of Holies? And not just any cat could go in there, all right? There was even some priests that didn't go in there with the right heart and everything, and they didn't come back out, if you know what I'm saying. And we think that having sin is some joke to God. Brothers died in the Holy of Holies when their heart won't write. Ain't come back out. That's how serious God takes it. Do you know where the temple is now after Christ in the cross of the lamb that was slain in the resurrection. Do you know where the, where the holy of holy is now? Where's God's temple now? It's not just a building. It's your heart. So can you hear the message where, where God wants to come and renew and rebuild this temple for his presence so he can be amongst his people? What does he want to rebuild in you? He wants to rebuild your heart. He doesn't want to just come and slam you with his word about a bunch of do's and don'ts. That's not what this is. Yes, this Bible is very specific on what is sin. And what the Bible calls sin is still sin today, whether you or I believe it or not. Okay? So it's very specific. But God's word doesn't come at you just say, hey, fix this sin. Fix this sin. Fix this sin. Do this right. Do this right. That's not what it is. God wants to renew your heart. God wants to rebuild your heart to, to, to take Babylon out of you and to put Christ back in you through the fullness of his glory so that you can walk in his purpose. That's what we're looking at today. Beautiful picture as this temple's being rebuilt. God is connecting the dots because I want you to think, if you look forward to Luke chapter two, you know there was this dude named Simeon and the Lord had come to Simeon and said, brother, said, you're not gonna die until you see Jesus. So led by the Holy Spirit, Luke two says, Simeon was led where? To the temple that they rebuilt. And then Who comes in? Mary and Joseph with the baby to dedicate in the temple. And Simeon sees Jesus. Prophecy fulfilled. God's promise in your life. Can you trust and know God's promise in your life and what he's working out in you by bringing you to repentance, by convicting you over your sins so that you fall on your face before a holy God, so that you now walk in his word, so that you can trust in his power to live in his purpose? You know what he wants to do? He wants to reveal Jesus to you and others. He wants to do that. He wants you to shine the light of Christ in your life to be something more than the things of this world. Spiritual renewal and revival is for God's purpose that his glory would be revealed amongst the nations. God wants to do that. It won't be convenient for spiritual renewal to happen. But know this, spiritual renewal, revival, must take, in, take place individually in your heart and my heart before it takes place corporately. Yeah. 
We want to see revival in the world. We want to see revival in this community. We want to, we want to see everybody just really praising, worshiping God, seeking God. Have you let God do that in your own life first? Let's do that today. And let's watch what God does. Because we know even talking about this whole decree of Cyrus, what did we talk about before? Who is he likely influenced by? We don't have specifics here to know this, but we know around this same time period, around that 538 BC, what event was taking place with a, with a, a, a group of lions? Daniel, taking a stand for God. And knowing the decree went out to only pray to, to King Darius, boop, threw open the windows to Jerusalem and got down on his knees and prayed like he did three times a day anyway. He made a stand for God in a godless culture. And God used him for Darius to then make a decree to only worship the God of Daniel because he come up out of the lion's den, probably sleepy and yawning after sleeping on a big kitty. Right? And everybody else that got thrown in there, was devoured before they hit the ground. And he saw that, and he made a decree. So if Darius made that decree and, and put out for God, who else do you think heard and, and heard about that and knew about this God of Daniel? Cyrus. So because of this man making a stand for the Lord in a godless culture, things changed. And God began to stir and move. How about you today? What is God calling you to do you, 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 you. He's calling you to do something that he can't do as well through anybody else. And he's waiting for you to step out and give him your life and walk by faith and trust in his power and live in his purpose. What can he do through you when you do that that maybe you're not even aware of? I bet Daniel wasn't even aware of what God was going to do. But he made a stand. So we can take that message today and we can make a stand. As I look at the Tie this in with the prodigal son and completely close. We're not going to read the story, but you know in Luke chapter 15, that story about where this youngest son had asked his father to, man, give me some of my inheritance. So the father broke it up and he went and he took this inheritance and he went off to the foreign land and he spent it all on immoral lifestyles and his pleasure. And then a time of famine come and he ran out of money and he was hurting so bad and he had to, to go to work for this guy and feed his swine and he would eat the, the, the food in the pig slop. I want you to think about that. So many of us, because we've chosen to live in Babylon, because we've chosen to go to a foreign land and put all our trust and faith and life in that, we've been eating pig slop. But then the light went on. This son said, hey, even the servants in my father's house eat better than this. When's the light going to go on in your life and realize that God has something better for you? He's not a cosmic cop just waiting to throw down the hammer on you when you do wrong. Yes, there's consequences for sin, but through his loving, gracious, merciful heart, he wants to call you out and call you back. That's what the prodigal son felt. And you know the story that, that when he left and he went back and his father saw him, what did his father do? Be like, oh man, I ain't, uh-uh. He went running up to him. And he called, he said, man, get all the finest stuff. Man, go kill the cow, man. Let's have a big old steak dinner tonight. Gonna eat because my son, he once was lost, but now he's found. Will you come running back to Jesus today, right now today? Romans 5a tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to know what that verse means right now. That means you don't have to get your life right first to come running back to Jesus. You may have run 200 miles away from him, but it's only one step back today. Will you take the step? Will you stop resisting him and his word and the preaching of his word in your life any longer? And will you just wholly and surrender to God right here today? That's revival. Because I want you to know, just like this was a turning point in history, so is today. I believe God's shaking things up. Hebrews 12, if you read the end of that passage, for a reason. 
Because if we keep holding on to the things of this world that will be destroyed when they're shaken, then we're going to go down with it. But the Bible says that there's a kingdom that we're really a part of if you're in Christ that will not be shaken. Are you a part of that kingdom? I'm going to tell you what today, because if you're, all your connections are in the things of this world, you're getting rocked right now. You're getting rocked. But if you're purpose and your connections are not in the things of this world and your connection is with God it's like you're hovering over the ground so when the ground shakes in an earthquake you don't feel nothing you'd be like what's happening do you have that kind of peace and hope and joy in your life or is your world getting rocked right now if it is will you come back to the father today will you come running back to him he wants to receive you with arms open wide because he put nails in his hands and his feet and he cried out with his last breath it is finished meaning your debt your sin debt is paid in full right now today will you come to the cross will you come to him in repentance and revival it's coming home let's bow our head and close our eyes right now how many of you would say today Brad, the Lord's spoken to my heart. And I know God wants me to do something. I know God wants to use me. And I'm ready for spiritual renewal. I'm ready to just repent and surrender to him. I'm ready to walk in obedience to his word and his promises. I'm ready to trust in his power. And I'm ready to live in his purpose. If that's you, whatever that looks like for you, and you know you're just ready for God to use you, you're ready to step out in faith and be a part of the revival that God wants to do through this church and in this community, will you raise your hand and say, Brad, I'm all in today. Don't raise your hand if you're not all in. But if you say, I'm all in, Jesus is working in my heart and my life, and I know God wants to do something. And would you pray for me? Just raise your hand all up over this place. Don't be ashamed. Raise it. My hand's raised. I want to come back today. I want to be refreshed and renewed. I don't want to miss out what God wants to do through me. Do you? Don't miss it. You put your hands down. How many are here today and you would say, Brad, I've never accepted Jesus and made him Lord. I want you to do that right here today. I want you to receive and make him Lord of your life. I'm going to lead you through a prayer that I want you to pray from your heart to God's heart. And yes, yes. It is words spoken, but I want you to know that the words don't save you. It is your heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, that you're justified and are saved. Will you surrender your heart to God today? Confess him with, with your mouth and your tongue and call him Lord right now. I'm going to lead you through that prayer. Or if you're here today and you say, Brad, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord today. I've drifted. I've swayed like we talked about. And I want to come running back to the cross today. I want to be set on fire and, and have revival start in my life, in my home for Jesus and I'm rededicating my life today. I'm gonna to ask you, if that's you, to pray the same prayer right now from your heart to God's heart, to accept him for the first time or rededicate your life to him. Just say, dear Jesus, Lord, I'm running to you right now. I'm admitting that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my savior. I've been drifting too long. And today I wanna to run back. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross that I can have forgiveness of my sin. That his body was broken, his blood was shed for me. And Lord, I thank you for that gift. And thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he was God and all victory over hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, right now, I want to claim that same victory in my life, Lord, because I need it. So my prayer to you, Lord, is to come in and to strengthen me, to do what only you can do in my life as I turn my will and my life over to you. And my commitment to you from this day forward is that every step I take and every breath I make is for your glory. Lord, here I am. Use me. Amen. If that was you and you prayed that prayer right now today, you meant business with God to receive him for the first time or to rededicate your life to him boldly and unashamed. Forget the person around you beside you right now. Forget what time it is, okay? Right now, boldly and unashamed, raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God today to receive him for the first time or rededicate my life to him. Amen. Church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause? He is at work. He is moving. 
He's doing what only he can do. Will you let him do what only he can do in your life? Will you do it? Will you respond to Jesus? Will you go out, take this word, and let your life radiate Christ this week? Shine the light. Make an impact on somebody's life for Christ. Will you do that? Hey, and then grab somebody and bring them to church next week, next Sunday. God's doing an amazing work right here. Let's come and be a part of the movement of God that he's doing. And I just thought about something. I think today, Tim, we five years old, ain't we today? Man. We ain't even had no birthday cake or balloons or nothing. Man, what's going on? But, hey, guys, thank you for coming to worship. Obviously, Satan didn't want this message to take place. He tried to stop it with a bunch of different things, but God's word went forth. So let's take it and use it, and let's initiate revival in our hearts, in this church, and in our community. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. Christ.